Mike DeVries, welcome to The Bag Drop. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. Hey, it's great to have you on. And this is very fitting that you're on our podcast called The Bag Drop because I understand uh, from one of our society members that you grew up in the bag room uh, working at a little golf course up north called Crystal Downs. Is that correct? That's correct. I did. Uh, started that when I was 14, sort of subbing in. And uh, for a couple of years, uh, worked in the bag room. Uh, the second year of that, I was working on the grounds crew during the week also in the bag room on the weekend. And, and then the next year, we had a, a new superintendent come in and he was interviewing me and he kind of figured out, okay, maybe this guy will be all right. And, <laughs> and I said, uh, well, okay, but I got to work in the bag room on the weekend. He says, no, you're mine. And after that, um, I was out of the bag room and I was on the grounds crew since then. <laughs> so it was, it was a forceful, uh, pull out of the bag room. Yeah. I wasn't fired. I was ejected by someone else at the same club. <laughs> <laughs> is there a uh, is there a specific memory from your days on either the ground crew or in that bag room that you know after three plus decades of being in the business now and in the golf industry d- that you look back on fondly or or often? Oh, well, there's a there's a lot of them. Uh, you know, the, the one of the cool things is is my grandparents were members there and I got into the game because they taught me the game and my uncle was a really good player and so uh, the very first we had a we never had like a member guest tournament and they had a member guest tournament when I was like 15 so I was working the bag room and my grandfather and my uncle they played you know my uncle was not a member and my grandfather was so he was his guest and, you know, there was just kind of this excitement of, you know, getting all that going. And my uncle was a really good player. He was like scratch. And so they were, I think, you know, one stroke behind after the first round or something. And, you know, this is, it's a, just a casual fun event. It's not anything serious, right? <laughs> but they got all nervous. And I was like, you know, you're in second place. You're right. But we're what? <laughs> and they tanked the second day. <laughs> it was not even close. <laughs> so um, it's just that, you know, I think, I think the thing that really, um, uh, the club has gotten a lot of notoriety for the golf course, which uh, is understandable because it's a great course. And that's why I got into the game and I love doing what I do. But I think uh, the thing that really uh, is the most impressive about that is that um, it's a, it's a very friendly, um, you know, low key kind of place. It's the, it has this great golf course, but everything else is, um, is just really down to earth. And so, uh, whether, whether a member is, you know, wealthy or, you know, just a regular guy or whatever, um, all of the people were really quite exceptional and, and, uh, and it, it really retains that to this day too, which is a credit to the club. Yeah, and I've heard that many times over about the club is just um, a phenomenal membership and, and great people first and uh, a heck of a golf course second. But that that golf course, what what do you think over the years? You know, so many of the the top destinations and golf courses and clubs um, tend to uh, maybe overmanage the golf course a little bit through the decades, and there's a lot of history of that. What why do you think uh, that the, the Crystal Downs has continued to um, just get more acclaim and more acclaim as time's gone gone on. Well, I think I've, part of that I think is this is a this is a summer club. This is a resort area, 
people have been going there for multi generations. Um, so, for for one, they're they're resistant to change. It's not about uh, this notoriety or that notoriety. Certainly, members are proud of their club and the golf course, and you know are happy that people like it and all that. But uh, it really sort of retains that down home kind of thing and feel to it, and that is something that lends itself to not having the need to do something all the time, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Um, so uh, it, it doesn't have that pressure to keep up with Pebble Beach or Pine Valley or the old course or, you know, name the whatever the greatest thing is. So so most of the uh, – so I spent some time in the bag room, okay, and, and uh, we had lots of stories. But most of the, the folks that I worked with, the guys and girls that grew up, you know, in and around the clubs – um, you know, they got the bug to play competitively. They got the bug to, to always have a club in their hand. Why, why do you think you got the bug to design golf courses? Well, I, most of that, I just, I love the game right from when I, my grandfather taught me from when I was six or eight years old. And, um, and so I was not a great player. Uh, you know, it was, a, you know, it's a stressful sort of deal if you're young. Um, and I was, you know, kind of serious, uh, nerdy as a kid. And so, uh, that was, you know, that's something that doesn't bode well. You know, it doesn't, golf doesn't take failure very, um, very well, you know, for someone who's, you know, wanting to be really good. I mean, it's difficult. Uh, and that's one of the good things about the game is that you can always improve and you can always find, um, something that's interesting. And that's one of the great things about the game that even if you're an average player, it just takes one or two shots around to go, wow, I, you know, I did that. Tiger can, you know, that's what he does all the time, but I did it too. You know, I can do it. So it's difficult as it is being able to pull off a shot, whether that's once around or 10 times around or, you know, 20 times around. And so, uh, I, you know, I played high school golf, but I, you know, I wasn't, I was no star or anything like that. And, um, I think then really working on the grounds crew, uh, post the bag room kind of deal, uh, I liked being up in the morning and seeing the sunrise and, you know, setting cups and mowing greens and raking bunkers and, and just sort of pouring over the golf course and the landscape and things like that. So those aspects of it really transformed into post-college, uh, when I wasn't really quite sure what I was going to do. Um, I got married, went back up, we got, we got married up in Frankfurt. And so I went back to the golf course and did some projects before the before the wedding and just kind of figured out at that time that, wow, you know, this is what I keep doing. This is what I like. And at that time, Tom Doak was doing his first solo design high point golf club, which was about 45 minutes or so away, uh, an hour away from me. And so I went and I met Tom, uh, was introduced there by Fred Muller, the pro at the downs who I'd known, you know, given me the job in the bag room. And, um, and met with Tom and then uh, ended up working with Tom for about two and a half, three years. And then we didn't have another project. And that's when I went back and got my master's in landscape architecture. So I think it's it's more about the whole design and the feel of the landscape and, you know, smelling the dirt. Uh, there's something about that. And that's a bug that, that you know, some guys have. And guys in the industry, they're, they're superintendents in the industry who just like to maintain golf courses. And there's guys in the industry that want to be, you know, superintendents that want to be in the dirt and they want to build and, you know, grow in a golf course and then go to another project and do the same thing again. So, uh, 
I guess it's just, you know, it's just in my genes there to want to um, uh, sculpt and create, uh, but use a 20-ton dozer instead of, uh, <laughs> instead, of <laughs> instead of modeling clay. So <laughs> uh, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. That's good. And, and in between there, you, you did skip over one small thing I wanted to touch on. Uh, you did your college studies here in Chicago, right? Weren't you at Lake Forest College in the 80s? I did, yeah. I did uh, my undergrad there. I was a, it's liberal arts. Uh, I was a business major, uh, technically. But I did a lot of math and science and uh, the first couple of years. And then the last couple of years, I did a lot of studio art. And that's kind of where that sort of, you know, design aspect and stuff, you know, comes along um so that creative that creative side of me was, was there uh and then you know that just sort of fosters itself in building golf courses every day yeah I, I always think about the the balance of you know how much uh planning and detail and, and analytics go into your your role and your career but but also the creativity side is that is that uh for most architects you know is that uh, two traits that kind of have to balance each other out or, or is it possible to be successful in, in one or the other? Oh, sure. I think it's different for everybody. Um, and, and I certainly had that, like I said, those first two years, I had a lot of math and science. I, you know, the, um, you know, I scored really well in that sort of the logic side of, you know, all those tests and things like that. And uh, my counselors were like, oh, yeah, you should be a computer programmer. And it's like, that's not what I want to do. I took a couple of those. I was like, no, this is not, this is not what I want to do. So... <laughs> Uh, I don't want to make it. I want a bulldozer. Money, but uh, you know, <laughs> it might have might have found us some. But um, yeah, no. So I, I think I have a balance or some sort of you know aspect of those um, that side, and that and that leads into that sort of engineering. You've got to you've got to understand sort of how to put those things together, and that and a lot of that stems from that math and science and you know water runs downhill and you know you need to put piping in here and do this and that uh, there's soils you know understanding soils understanding agronomics of things how things grow um, and so I don't have a turf degree and that's not my you know I rely on those guys but I have a lot of knowledge who are working 10, 10 years on the grounds group at the downs so I have an understanding of how the golf how a golf course has to be maintained from that um, and then there's the whole artistic side and sort of putting things together and feeling the ground and understanding um, routing and, and those types of things. And you learn that uh, in a variety of ways. Um, you know, for me, the, the Downs is, is one of the best training grounds you could have. You know, every day of the summer for 10 years, I was, I was on the golf course. So um, that stuff kind of creeps in. And it's so good that every day I'm there, I still learn something about golf architecture. I see, you know, one small little thing when I'm playing with a friend or something like that. Uh, that, you know, seems kind of crazy, but those courses that are at the top of the top of the charts, um, there's an endless amount of stuff to sort of glean from them and to learn from them and to apply. Uh, if you're looking at it like I look at something, um, so I think that's. All of the, all of those things combined together to to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm sure there are probably certain guys that have one aspect of this and maybe don't look at it the way I do, and, and I'm sure that's that's the case. Um, but 
you know, just like Pete died. I mean, he was an insurance guy. He was a really good player. His wife, you know, Alice was a great player. And combining all those things in, you know, they figured out a way to create some really cool golf courses. I remember reading a quote from, uh, or a letter or something when I in my travels over in Ireland from old Tom. He laid out uh, one of the courses in Northern Ireland. It was maybe maybe Rosapina or or County down maybe but he, he always said he his benchmark would would always fall short because uh of his success at the old course and how he constantly you know used that as his his benchmark is right. crystal is crystal kind of that for you uh yeah certainly it's always in you know to to elucidate um you know responses from people and the work that you do that come to that like you know, there's a lot of people that come to the downs and they're blown away with, with good reasons. It's like, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, you know, when you get something like that or when you get somebody that says, you know, I was over here, Mike, and I'd never seen that shot. And that was a really cool shot. If they're talking about, you know, a shot on the golf course, um, whether it's Kingsley or Gray Walls or Wickham uh, or the Mines or, you know, any of the other courses I've been involved with. That's a super high compliment to me. I mean, you know, that means that they're thinking about it or they're experiencing it in a different way. Um, maybe not each and every time, you know, as ex extreme maybe as as um, the things that you would experience at, at the downs if you were looking at it. But um, that starts to raise the bar and, and makes it more interesting. It's not just a rote, you know, shot. It's like you're at the range, you know, hitting it flat. Everyone wonders about that. They kind of ask about that. Well, there's no flat lies out here. It's like, well, <laughs> you got to adjust. You got to like figure out what you can play and how you can play. You have a shot. There's plenty of room. There's lots of space. But I think, you know, and, and probably that philosophy, um, from my standpoint, probably stems from, you know, growing up without any flat lies. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, the downs, you're constantly moving and trying to figure it out. And you know, some of those shots are really hard, and some of them are, um, you know, not as hard. Uh, um, or you learn, you know, I like playing with the ball above my feet. I love that sort of action on the on the club and what happens with it and what it does because uh, I got used to that. And I don't, you know, I look at that and go, wow, this is cool. You know, someone else would be like, oh, I feel off balance. And, um, you know, I, I guess I sort of, I kind of relish those, those types of, of things. It's like the first... Being in the north here, it's sort of that first uh, time you get out in the spring. You get a nice spring day. Maybe they haven't even cut the golf course, and there's kind of like some growth in the grass some places, and some places there's not. And you get these really weird little lies. You know, you get little cuppy lies, and you get stuff that's sort of fluffy and think the ball's sitting up. And uh, you don't get that when everything's maintained regularly and all that in the middle middle of the season. Um, and that's kind of the, that's sort of what you get when you're over in Scotland and Ireland too. You know, it's a, it's a different sort of raw aspect to the game that lends itself to just trying different shots. And and to me, that's fun. I I love that you said that. We, we actually, you know, our society kind of plays throughout the year. And I try to remind our society members that, you know, golf was actually a winter sport over in Scotland because the grass would <laughs> stop growing. And yeah. you could, you know, you could play on that stuff. And um, I, I think it makes it, it makes the game more interesting, right? It's the that's the variable of the game. That's the dynamic nature of it. Is that it's never the same. The playing field is always changing, and and you should revel in that. We should all enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Instead um, of sometimes 
complaining about our fairways, you know, having a patchy lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's brown grass over there. Please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like Judge Smales. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Don't be but, Judge Smales. That's a, that's a T-shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. That's a good one. <laughs> before, before I, so we're going to get to a lot of your, your remarkable golf courses, and, and I got so many questions for you. But I, before, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a young Mike DeVries in, in the north side of Chicago going to school in the 80s at Lake Forest College. Uh, when you got the itch to, to hit a golf ball, where, where would you go? Most of our listeners are society members here in Chicago. We're, we, we love to hear local courses. Was there a place back then that you, you would frequent with buddies or, or some place that you would just go check out that you enjoyed? Well, uh, for a couple of years, I didn't have a car, so that wasn't really uh, possible. So I, I didn't, and, and I'm living in a dorm room, so I didn't have room for my uh, clubs. And, you know, most of the time of that season uh, during the school year, it's not really too playable. So pretty much, I came to school and they were they were put away. So I didn't I didn't really play when I was at school, which is unfortunate, because uh, <laughs> right around the corner is uh, Shore Acres and you know that stuff. And and obviously I've seen uh, a lot of those clubs you know since then. And there's a lot of great stuff um, uh, on the North Shore with Shore Acres being it's right up there, at least tied with my favorite Rainer courses, just because it's really really different. Uh, with the ravines that are there that that make it sort of a different experience it's sure it has it has all the sort of template holes in there but it has its kind of own spin on it because of the deep ravines that run through the property um you know which is which is really wonderful um uh old elm i think they've done a really really neat job with with uh, you know bringing back a lot of the character of the original sort of routing and stuff like that. Uh, I've never played it, but I've been around it. And, um, you know, very, very cool golf course there. Um, Glenview Club uh, is, I think, a really, really neat property. And I know that they've uh, they've got some work coming up and uh, Jim Rubin is working with them. Um, and hopefully they'll get some of those things, you know, restored out. They've, they've done work um, in, the, in the past 10 years or so. And um, it's a really cool place. Uh, they just got to be able to control the flooding, uh, which is hard to do because they're not really in control of the river. So um, that's that's wonderful. Um, the uh, um, Dan Wentzia Club is kind of a throwback. You know, that's right there in Lake Forest, right near where I went to school. Um, and, you know, just interesting old uh, lay, of the, lay of the land sort of uh, prairie, you know, golf, which um, is, you know, really fun and you know very very cool so there's a lot of stuff you know you just and there's a lot of stuff that you you start to get down there's a lot of stuff in chicago that i haven't seen i've never been to skokie you know which is a shame um i've got to get there you know sometime it's just um i don't get to chicago as much anymore and um and i need to so yeah, no, those are some of my those are some of my favorites, and we we definitely have a uh, a tragedy of riches here when it comes to classic uh, classic golf and some of the, the top ones, obviously, but a lot of a lot of great mid tier clubs here in Chicago too. Yeah, uh, well, let's let's bounce back to your home state of of Michigan. So one of uh one of our our friends of the pod is the, the fried egg, who I know you've done some podcasts with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a series called Bang for Your Buck that highlights. Uh, architecturally 
awesome golf courses that are typically affordable. And uh, and your name comes up quite a bit on that. I think is so cool because you know we're going to talk about your uh, your headliners. Let's call it of you know Kingsley Club and Gray Walls and Cape Wickham. Um, I'm also curious on Sunningdale and Meadow Club and the, you know phenomenal. Uh, they they hit all the lists, but. Uh, stuff what Andy's doing, kind of drawing attention to more of the uh, publicly available and, and accessible type places. Um, he calls your your three courses in the Grand Rapids area the DeVries Trio. Uh, so Pilgrim's <laughs> yeah. Run, uh, Pilgrim's Run, Mines Golf Course, and, and Diamond Springs. So yeah. I, I, wa- I wanted to ask you, because uh, personally, I, I'm headed up that way uh, for my bachelor party this year, and, and I only got one round to play. So it's probably not fair to do to you, but if if I got one round to play as I'm passing through Grand Rapids, which one of those three are you recommending for me? Is the bachelor party in Grand Rapids? You going it, to the blue it, pubs and all? It's not. We're going to be going oh. through it with a smaller group, but we'll be up in the Traverse okay. area. Oh, okay. So, because if you're staying, the, the great thing about that, the DeVries Trio there, uh, if you're going to, you know, Grand Rapids is a, I grew up in GR actually, and so... Um, you know, being in that, it's changed a lot since I was a kid. And there's a lot of dynamic stuff going on. Uh, the Van Andel Arena downtown, you know, holds major, who was just there two weeks ago. Um, so they got major acts coming through. There's a lot of vitality. There's, you know, great brew pubs and stuff with founders being the headliner for that kind of stuff. Um, so the Mines is, is five minutes from downtown. It's actually in the city of Grand Rapids, which is pretty amazing when you think of, of a metro area that's that big. Um, and, um, Diamond Springs is a half an hour sort of Southwest of, of Grand Rapids, kind of between Grand Rapids, Holland and Kalamazoo and kind of in the middle of nowhere. And then Pilgrim's Run is, is straight North about a half an hour from downtown Grand Rapids. So they're all really relatively accessible, you know, via the highway and things like that. Um, the mines, um, you know, is really is great when people that are going to be right there in town. Um, you know, it's easy on, easy off, um, and Pilgrim's Run is more accessible too. Diamond Springs is a little more off the beaten path, um, and um, you know, offers they all offer a different sort of aspect to it. So Pilgrim's Run is is bent tees, greens, and fairways. It's a little more lush and polished and stuff like that. Um, great piece of property. Uh, rolling terrain, it's set up over a really generous, generous parcel. You know, you're going to run into deer. You're not going to, you're not going to see anybody or see any homes or, um, so it's really, it's, it's up North golf, you know, downstate. Um, uh, the mines being right in the city, uh, you would think it'd be surrounded by homes. There's only a section of the property that actually where you see some homes, um, on the back nine, um, because it is essentially over a portion of the old gypsum mine. So it's pretty much wilderness kind of around it, and that area won't be developed because there could be subsidence um, on the on the property just from the old, you know, maybe an old section of the mine collapsing a little bit. And we look at that from a golf standpoint, we say, hey, new bunker. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, uh, it, it, you know, being right in the city, um, it feels, uh, it feels like it's really, you know, kind of up North too, from that standpoint, but you have to, you have to kind of, the parcels kind of broken up and divided by some, 
power lines and things like that. So it's not as pristine, say, as as uh, Pilgrim's Run. And Diamond Springs is, again, another remote thing where you're not going to really see anybody. Um, it is um, super walkable. I mean, it's basically a flat piece of ground with some eskers that go across it, uh, which are these long, thin ridges that go kind of east-west. And then there's a there's a uh, gorge that was an old mill uh, used to power a, a, a we don't know if it was a lumber mill or a, or a you know grain mill or something but there was an old mill that was on this um, this old waterway so there's five six holes the ninth and then the 14th through 18th that actually skirt or cross this deep ravine and uh, so it is a you know it's an entirely different sort of experience also um, so you kind of like the richer, lusher uh, experience. Pilgrim's Run is is more of that. Um, the mines and and Diamond Springs are, you know, they're more they're definitely more low key, um, uh, and they're blue bluegrass fairways, which are you know great, which are fine, but it's um but it's not that bentgrass thing, depending on what people want. Gotcha. Yeah, that's uh, those those are the insights I'm looking for. You know, this will be with the group of childhood friends and I, I lovingly call them the the donkey foursome because you know there, there's the stallion that you know scratch guys that we go out with but uh the, these guys sound like they're going to appreciate maybe the mines or diamond springs a little bit more than than pilgrims but uh but maybe, maybe i'll have to go back yeah um it's a it's a very inexpensive trip so uh i think pilgrims runs probably the most expensive and that's like 69 dollars like at the highest point of the deal. So, you know, compared to Chicago, um, certainly probably a bargain. Um, and then the mines and Pilgrim's Run are, you know, they're between 30 and $45, depending on whether you get a cart or don't get a cart and things like that. The mines, you know, as far as difficulty too, depending on the level of player, um, the mines is, might be the most difficult because par 70 and there's, um, uh, there's five par fours more than 440. So those sort of serve as maybe, you know, half par holes. And uh, four of those go into the prevailing wind. Um, so it may, it might make me sound like kind of a masochist, but um, and actually it's just, you know, it's fun. You got good options. And those are three shot holes for average players anyway. So uh, for the better player, they have to really sort of be on their game to, to kind of do that. Um, a lack of bunkers there, though. Not very many bunkers. Uh, there's six bunkerless holes actually on the golf course there, so it's um, it's it's cool. And then Diamond Springs has uh, basically two cuts. They have bent grass greens, and then it's like three quarters of an inch bluegrass everywhere else. So that's that's kind of like the Duffer's paradise because they can just blast the ball all over, and they might not be in a very good position, but they're going to find their ball and and um, you know and have a, have a play at it, which is which is pretty cool. Is it something I've, I've talked to uh, other architects on on our podcast about that just just occurred to me hearing you talk about these three and um, growing up there in Grand Rapids. You know, was was it important to you to to kind of give back to where you grew up to to have really interesting, compelling golf um, from fr from the place where you know you're probably a lot of your friends and family still are. Um, yeah, but I I, I try and do that with whatever project that is you know low medium high budget projects um good design comes across in all of those sorts of things you can you can have interesting golf and uh and do that on a low budget 
Um, you just have to put the details and the thought into it to make it, you know, to make it make it work. Um, that, that's one of the interesting things. Golf is, you know, thought of as being real expensive. It's not cheap, but I guess if you're if you're a passionate golfer, you're putting, you know, your uh, discretionary income into something that you like. Just like if you're if you're into camping, you're going to buy the latest camping gear or a, an RV or something. So, um, so having compelling golf design and, and interests, um, I think you know, stems from growing up at Crystal Downs and knowing that you know these green complexes. You know, there's always you always got to think about what the shot's doing and where it's going and how it's how it's going to react. And the shot's not necessarily at the at the hole all the time. So the little you know the little Muni course I grew up with, you know, at in, in Grand Rapids, that um, was certainly kind of some interesting ground, but um, but it wasn't necessarily as compelling because you know the greens were pretty simple. They're small little circles, and and um, you know it was fun. You know, my my mom or my friend's mom would drop us off and you know pick us up two hours later, and we'd play. You know, we'd cruise around and play nine holes when we were kids. That was that was fun. Yeah, that's the stuff we hope continue to see a lot more of. But uh, but I, I I think that you know for for places like Grand Rapids, it's it's a big opportunity for drive market folks like myself or people in in uh, in Chicago to to get in the car for you know two three four days and and go see places. So I I really think that you know combined in some. Uh, uh, compelling interesting public courses with you know some connections to maybe play a, a crystal or kingsley club is is really kind of the future for these these regional trips and um yeah, just so cool that you've you've uh, had your hand in in a lot of uh a lot of different aspects of it yeah well um yeah i appreciate that and you know it's a it's it's a great um you know it's it's great that i get to do what i love to do and uh and that's that's um, I'm, I'm certainly very thankful for that, um, and you know it's it's exciting for people that are like, oh hey, I was out at the mines last week or you know wherever they were, and you know we had a great time and da 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 da. And so yeah, so a bunch of my friends, you know, they 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 love that aspect of it or something. Or if I get down there, you know, we try and go play and, and things like that. So it's a good way to to connect with people, and that's one of the great things about the game. Um, you know, too. And if you've got something that's, you know, walkable and, you know, friendly from that aspect of it, you're a lot more engaged with, you know, instead of just whoever's in the cart with you, you know, you have the opportunity to sort of spread that around. You know, if two of you are playing down the right, you're talking with that person for, you know, the 200 yard walk or whatever. So I think, I think that's, um, that's something that also, um, we sort of lose track in the digital age where everything has to be like super connected um you know to a device um golf lets you sort of break away from that which is which i think is really really cool and a great aspect of it um a few years ago a friend of mine in chicago um who's in the who's in the golf industry he just called me you know out of the blue and said that he had gone like he, he did like a buddy trip like you did they went and they played the uh Coor and crenshaw course down at notre dame and then they played diamond springs and the mines and pilgrims run and he's like this was the cheapest and most fun we've had playing golf. You know, <laughs> and these guys go, they go to, you know, they go to the big places. They go out to Bandon and stream song and stuff like that too. And he's like, you know, this was, this was an easy drive. It was fun. 
there was, you know, we, we hit the brew pub and in Grand Rapids, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, so that's really, um, you know, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool to hear, you know, I mean, it's, it's about getting together with people and like you're saying, your, your, your buddies that you grew up with and, um, you know, that's what the game's really about. Absolutely. So I, I got to get to, um, uh, the Kingsley club because, uh, it's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on this week is, uh, we have a subset of our society members that are headed up for uh, a couple days to Kingsley club and getting, uh, getting a full experience there. So, uh, they, they obviously want to hear from the, the man himself on, <laughs> uh, on the place. It, it, you know, everything I hear about it, I haven't played it, but everything I hear about it always kind of starts with, uh, it's a really cool vibe. It's a very golfy membership, and, and it's a really cool vibe. Uh, what, what, what do you think? Does that start with the owners, the members, the course? Why, why do so many people tell me that? Well, I think, um, yeah, we, we're attracted to golfers. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a single-digit handicap, but guys that really love the game uh, and love that aspect of it, they're there for the golf. There's 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 three cabins there, but there's there's no housing. We're surrounded by forest. Uh, three quarters of the of the golf course is surrounded by state forest, essentially, or undevelopable forest. So there's um, there's this sort of remoteness to it, even though you're 20 25 minutes from downtown Traverse City. So um, I think the membership is it's all about the golf. Um, you know, we have a very minimal clubhouse. Um, and you know, guys put their shoes on in the, in the parking lot. It's not, you know, we're trunk slammers. So, <laughs> so, um, so it's, uh, uh, it's all about that. And everybody, you know, they, they love to see people excited about, you know, come on. It's always, it's fun to see guests come and, you know, members interact with them and like, oh yeah, I hope you're having a great time and da, 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 da. And so that aspect of it really does, um, come out i think just from the standpoint of um um sort of the ethos and that really comes from uh the owner ed walker and um and his partner art preston who passed away about a year a year ago um you know they started this with the idea that it was a golf course only about golf and about great golf and and when i first looked at the property with with ed and fred muller uh, who was the pro at Crystal Downs that I mentioned earlier? Um, he he was um, friends with them too, and was involved and in, and sort of guided guided them in some aspects of the prospect and got me involved in the uh, introduced me to them. Um, and when we looked at the property, um, Ed said, you know, if this isn't going to be a great golf course, you know, we'll we'll find a different piece of property. We want to find the right piece of property, and um, and sure enough, it was, and. Um, so it's um, it's that aspect of it, people that are really appreciative of golf and get excited about that and, and, and the aspect of the, of the sport and trying different stuff, that really sort of sets the tone, um, which I think is really neat. Yeah, and, and I, I read a little bit about the superintendent there and um, how he's really gotten a lot of acclaim for the impeccable uh, job they do there. It has a really rugged exterior, but... Um, the conditions, if you really look at them, are, are phenomenal. Uh, what, when you guys were were designed the place, I, I hear firm and fast a lot. Was that um, was there some intentional design 
and principles that you, you put in a place knowing that a place is going to play from and fast? Is that more just dictated by the, the land that it's on? How did that, how does that work into your phase of it all? Um, yeah. So, um, Dan, first of all, Dan Lucas, shout out to him. Um, he's the superintendent. He built the golf course and grew it in and has maintained it from day one, um, with me. So, um, Dan, um, is a great friend of mine. Um, but he's also the best turf guy I've ever seen. He just understands how, how grass has to play. It's not about what it looks like. It's about how it plays and what shots you can make. And that's what uh, we were always talking about and what I was talking about with them when we were looking at it in raw ground and we were and what we talked about today, you know, is, you know, what's happening and, and this and that. So, um, so the focus on that and, the, and with Art and Ed's complete backing of that was, you know, we wanted something that played like it does over in, in Scotland and Ireland. We want, we want the ball to run and move and all that. And we have great soils there. Uh, the best, the best material I've ever seen. It grows great turf, uh, but it drains freely, and um, and provides just that right sort of uh, density. You know where the where the club you know comes bounces into the ball and 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 uh, into the turf and then you know comes off. And so with that in mind, we we wanted to plant fescue uh, for the fairways and the roughs and the outer roughs and things like that um, because of that playability and the role of the ball and stuff. And the decision to do that was uh, was intentional because we, we did want the ball to move and, and roll around and have that. There's a lot of wind up here in northern Michigan, and even though Kingsley's inland about uh, 10, 15, let's say 15 miles from Lake Michigan, um, there we're at a higher elevation than the surrounding land and we're open. So we get a lot of wind when, you know, the, when, the, when it's really blowing at crystal downs, it's blowing slightly less, uh, at Kingsley. So that's a real advantage and brings the elements into, you know, the aspect of the game and stuff like that. And, uh, and Dan, um, knew that if they wanted to change the grass type later, we could change from fescue into something else. Um, easier than we could do the you know, the reverse um, later in the future, and so 20 years into it, uh, we're still predominantly fescue. There are certain pockets that you know have had poa infiltration and things like that, but Dan doesn't maintain for that. He maintains for how the ball plays, and so it's really about it's really about that, and that lends itself to um, not always aiming at the pin uh, and thinking that hey. I don't have a very good lie here. Um, I'm going to aim for that that bank over there and let the ball feed on because I know I can't go at the green because I'm I'm not sure exactly how this ball is going to react out of this lie, and um, and so that that lends itself to someone not just you know thinking oh yeah okay it's 147 that's a seven iron for me Bing Bing Bing, you know they're going well I, this lies you know I didn't hit this one very good I'm sort of in a weird little lie I've got kind of like a in a little cuppy bowl, I'm going to have to sort of punch a five iron here and just let it scuttle along the ground and then work its way in. So uh, that makes it fun. And it's a different different type of game than you're going to play typically in the United States. Um, and um, I think, you know, day to day, I think Dan keeps it firmer and faster than any course in the States. And it plays that way, you know, intentionally. 
That's that's what I always hear about it. Are the greens as well? Greens are uh, greens and teas are bent grass. Mm, okay. So they're um, and they're not. He keeps them. You know, he they're they're firm and roll true. Um, you know, sometimes he, you know if he if they want them for a certain event or something, he wants to jack them up. He can do that. But um, I would say you know we're probably rolling at ten and a half. Um, and that's plenty fast. Um, it allows it allows things, you know, the slopes to be used and things like that. Uh, but you can still putt the ball, and that's important. You know, he he could make them eleven and a half or twelve or something, but then you'd lose a lot of interesting pins, and you and you'd lose a lot of playability too. And um, and that would take away. That would probably you know getting too fast can take away uh, the interest in, in certain golf courses, and people don't recognize that enough. So, so this past uh, season, I've caught the uh, hickory golf bug. Um, haven't bought my first set yet. I have like a hundred-year-old hickory set that uh, it, it feels like I'm swinging with, you know, grandma's antiques. But um, I do play with with some loners of of hickory, and I know there's a very strong hickory presence at, at Kingsley. And I wanted to ask you about playability and uh, what what are some of the reasons, like when when you were set heading out to, to, to lay that property out to route that golf course. Um, what, and looking at yardages, you're looking at modern technology. I mean, I mean, knowing that now you have a golf course that people can play with, with wood persimmon clubs and uh, hickory shafts as well as modern technology and have, have an equally fun day. Um, is some of that stuff intentional? How does that build into your, to your, uh, when you start out? Um, I, I don't, I just try and provide, options and very variability for people i don't think you know i don't necessarily say oh this is a good hickory hole or this is a good you know modern driver hole or something like that I, you know there, there's such a great range in the really really top players you know the, the, the tour pros and the top amateurs are hitting the ball so far disproportionately to um the amateur you know the regular player compared to 30 or 40 years ago just because they're they're so consistent and so good that they can utilize the technology, the swing monitoring and and all of that type of stuff to really maximize what they're doing. That the the average golfer can't can't do that. Now occasionally he can, but um, that makes that pretty much impossible to you know balance that. Um, so I think I think it's just trying to provide variety and things like that. So. At Kingsley, we've got fescue, the balls, you know, um, the lower flight uh, trajectory that you're going to get with hickory shafts and things like that. The ball is going to run there, so it's going to hit the ground. It's actually going to move and do other things, which is the character of the way the game was played 100 years ago and 150 years ago. So um, we, you know, that that lends itself right into that. And I think um, uh, just if if we're not looking at Kingsley, but we're looking at the other courses I've, that I've worked on, I think, you know, you're trying to provide a lot of options for every level of golfer. And so an open front where they can run the ball in is a traditional design aspect and uh, character that I think I'm going to do anywhere um, for almost every golf hole, you know, I can. I mean, there's a, it's, it's rare for me to have a pond right in front of a green. That's just, that's, um, that's a, 
you know, sort of a modern, I mean, it's, it's more modern than it is old. I mean, there certainly were older clubs that had that, but, um, you know, wh where's the average player going to hit the ball if they have to hit it over that pond every time? That's pretty, and you can't just make that up with yardage. That's, that's pretty difficult to do that. Um, so I think um, the, the hickory the hickory golf works really really fun there. I have an I have an old set of pre 1935. Um, it's not it's a set like you say it's not really a set <laughs> because because the old clubs uh, you can you can get old sets that are balanced and and um, and more tuned to each other and weights and things like that. But uh, it's not like buying something off the rack today which is perfectly balanced and all that. Each club kind of has its own personality which is what's kind of fun about it. So, you know, certain days uh, the jigger feels really good. Some other days the mashie feels good. This, and you sort of, you know, you, you, you have this relationship with hickory clubs and you sort of, you sort of temper your game to how that relationship is that day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, it's fun. And I, you know, I, I play them occasionally. Um, and, uh, and it's, it is, um, uh, um, it's great fun to play. You can play good golf with them too. You can hit great shots with them. Um, and it kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier, you know, for the average golfer, you know, they hit one, two, five shots around that they're really excited about that keeps you coming back. It's the same thing with hickory golf. I mean, you could be a really good player and sort of struggle, but, um, it's kind of like when I grew up, um, you were manufacturing shots and when you pulled one off, you know, you, you really remembered that. I remember this. I remember just as clear as the day I hit it when I was like 15 years old and I hit this um, rope, um, you know, basically duck hook three wood off of a sketchy lie around a tree about 240 yards. And I was like, wow, that was really cool. <laughs> I can <laughs> see the flight of the ball from that shot, you know, 40 years later. So um, that's, um, you know, that's kind of what Hickory Golf does for you. And, um, and, and Kingsley does lend itself to that, particularly with the fescue. Um, and there's another course here in northern Michigan, Belvedere, which is an old William Watson design from the 20s. And it's a great course, really fun to play. And the Hickory Open that we started at Kingsley about uh, 15 years ago or so, we moved it there um, after three or four three years or so at Kingsley and they've, they've held a, a tournament there. And then at the end of June, they're going to have a middle middle to end of June. They're going to have the, uh, national U S Hickory open there, uh, at Belvedere this year, which will be fun. Yeah. I love how you described the, the hickories that, that, that is so, such a good way to look at it. each one having its own personality is so true because <laughs> I've, I've, I've found that to be the case. Sure. Um, on uh, last question on Kingsley. So for our group, you know, most of them will be new timers playing there. Um, is there anything that might surprise them about the design or construction of Kingsley after playing it? Um, well, it's certainly, it's, it's a different, it, it's not traditional American golf because it's wide open and, um, there's a lot of space and there's a lot of options for you to play. So, um, uh, make sure you, make sure you have a, you know, if you can have, if you can get a caddy, depending on the timing and stuff, you should take a caddy so they can sort of help, you know, maneuver you around. And, um, I think even if it's just a four caddy for the group, you know, you're going to want some direction cause it's not, not everything's going to be right in front of you. There's plenty of space. My dad 
you know, he he was going to shoot 120 no matter what he did, but he could get around Kingsley, you know, without losing a ball. So um, I think there are it's the direct route to the to the pin is not always the best route. So you have to like you have to think about it a little bit more about what your shot is and where it's going. And um, I think once you're once you're done, you're going to be kind of like, oh yeah, I sort of see that, you know. It, because you're going to talk to your buddies and they're going to have a different experience or they're going to have, you know, this, or, you know, this happened here, or that happened there. And so that sort of stuff is, um, is something that's, um, you know, that's what, that's what makes the game exciting, you know, trying to um, compare uh, to each other and, uh, and to figure out, you know, this is, oh, this is how I played the hole. This is, you know, that didn't work at all. <laughs> or, or, uh, you know, I hit it, you know, I hit it, 20 yards right of the right of the pin and it swept in off of that bank and and moved that way so like the 16th hole is a great it's a great great redanish type shot and there's a big bank to the right and you can you can play a running shot off of that bank and let it sweep down to the green you can play a cut shot into the into the pin um you can do it a number of different ways um but um it's not going to be totally you know obvious from when you're just looking at it just don't go left that's going to be a problem there <laughs> <laughs> don't go left noted got it uh, that, that that's good so um i think that's so such a an interesting point just on uh the memorability of shots and and i always can tell i always say you know when is our golf society at, at our best i think it's kind of in that post round uh post game hang where everyone's you know having a beer and recapping some shots and you know the memorability is one thing but just it, the 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 variety of of experiences someone can have on the same hole coming in from a different angle or coming in from um uh, at a different time different condition you know th that creates stories that we can then share with each other and, and we actually remember i always think that's uh, that's what you see in Lynx golf and it sounds like you've created you know places that uh that have a lot of that absolutely absolutely you know definitely some of the main fun of the, of the whole thing so um you know when especially when there's a when you have a big group you know you have you have two or three groups out there um you know they're going to all have a different perspective they're going to play something differently or whatever and that happens even when um, even when some, you know, like the members, they get together and, and, you know, they've been playing there a lot. Right. Um, and every once in a while, someone come, Mike, I had this shot, man. I'd never been over. That it was really cool. I just didn't see that before. You know, that's the highest compliment anybody can give me. So that's, um, um, it, it golf's a social game, you know, and, and, um, um, maybe top golf and all those things are, are, you know, that's, um, that's just the modern social aspect of golf maybe i don't know but um you know i mean the more people that we can get into the game the better in my opinion yeah yeah that, and one of my questions i was going to have is when we can start to kind of wind down here and let you get on with your day but um what would you like to see more of in the game of golf um well i, I think i think one thing that golf as an industry has, has not done well is sort of say what's good about golf. And so that ability to decompress and, you know, go play with your buddies for two hours or four hours. And, you know, uh, whether you walk or you ride or whatever, you know, walking, um, if you have a walkable golf course, you know, lends to that social aspect to it. 
um, I think a lot more. But uh, the way that I grew up, you know, learning from my grandparents and my uncle, uh, that multi-generational thing is really a, um, a cool and kind of unique thing um, that golf has in the way of sport, you know. I mean, you, yeah, your grandpa might throw the football with you or something like that, but it's not the same you're not kind of on the same sort of deal. So I think, um, yeah, I'd like to see golf do a better job of talking about those aspects of golf versus trying to, you know, find, you know, and nothing against foot golf or top golf or other alternatives. I think that's, I think all of that stuff is really great, but I think we just need to, to talk about, you know, Hey, golf is challenging. It's difficult. But um, it also has all these other aspects. You know, when I was eight years old, I learned how to, you know, mark my ball on the green, not, not walk in somebody's line. So you learn all these things about um, the social ability of life and interacting with people and doing the right thing, calling a, calling a penalty on yourself, no matter how difficult that is um, to do. You learn about all of that stuff. Um, and working in the bag room, back to the bag room, we're right back to the bag room, right? Is, um, you know, you learn to say, hi, Mr. Smith, you know, um, look him in the eye, give him a firm handshake. It's golf is more than just about hitting the ball and scoring 73 or 85 or whatever. Uh, it's, it's about life and it, it marriages and, and um, brings together a lot of those a lot of those different aspects i think and does that really well and we need to talk we golf as an industry needs to talk about that more i think yeah wow in in the introduction of the game to folks people kind of think it's you know just getting them uh introduced i think that's actually happening more and more today with some of the things like top golf and others but uh, it's also like you said, introducing them to the, to the right aspects of the game, um, because those are the things that are going to keep them coming back and, and really make them feel a part of something. Um, so I, I hope for a lot of the same things. I think that's uh, a great way to look at it. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, uh, it's the best. I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I still say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Mike, I, I had so many other courses that I wanted to get to, and I tend to do the, I, I didn't get to them, so maybe in the future we could have you back on, and, and I'd love to hear about you know places like Sunningdale and Cape Wickham and um, some of the, so many others that you've done that I uh, that I have on my my lifelong list. It'll take a long time to get to them, but I, I do hope to get to them someday. And and uh, just wanted to say thanks for for joining our show. Thanks. Well, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'd love to do it again. It's um, it's always it's always fun to talk golf. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, uh, hey, have have a great time up at Kingsley with your uh, with your group. Oh, we will. And doing my my research as I was googling, you know, you still come up as as one of the most underappreciated modern architects. That's what a lot of the, the Google searches were yielding. I just wanted to let you know we appreciate you, Mike. <laughs> hey, it's always nice to be appreciated. <laughs> I'll take well, what well, I can thank, get. That's <laughs> all right. Well, we'll keep it up. Thanks for uh, for joining us and have a great day. Thanks, Matt. You too. Appreciate it. Thank you.